0: There's no way at the court you can say that I have an experienced rationale above my players on something like the wall. Let's see, does this work together? And then if you get a good vibe off it, let's bring it in. If you don't, all right, call
1: Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now.
2: OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Delighted to say we're going to
1: continue our football conversation now. Nedim Anua, former Manchester City player, joins us on the line. Morning, Nedim. Good morning. How are you? I was planning uh, to talk to kick off the chat about Manchester City and uh, interesting times there, of course. But I think on the basis of last night, there's only one place to go. Uh, what's mm-hmm. your um, overall assessment of where Manchester United are at right now?
0: I think it's tough to say. I think a game like yesterday against Civil was particularly bad, but they've not had too many of those. Um, <clears throat> they've not had too many of those games in the grand scheme of things this season. It feels like they are progressing forward, but then when you see that they've got a few players injured and alike. And you know it's not going to be the best version of united but you just don't expect them to crumble the way that they did especially with mistakes coming from their key players but this is essentially european football and seville for as much as they've done nothing in la liga this year you hear their record in their home stadium and like from this point they're expected to almost go and win the whole competition but i don't know it, it's tough obviously some people have been scapegoated like, like i heard earlier on the show and that doesn't necessarily seem right but uh-huh they've got a game in two days' time against the side in Brighton who are very good. But that could be a huge win for United because they get themselves into another final. So it's not all doom and gloom. I think uh, Ten Hag is very much like that when they played against Liverpool and lost so badly. It's just all about the next game, learning from the little mistakes that they've made and understanding that they can't make those again. But it was tough because I thought they were going to win, especially Mm -hmm. given the fact they were so dominant in that first leg, but... Again, this is two-legged European competition. The side that plays at home in any quarter or semi always has a great chance.
2: N- Ned, you're kind of touching on a point there, which this I, I definitely felt this with um, Ten Hag early in the season. When um, was it the was it the Brentford game where they lost? They lost. They lost their first two games. They were appallingly bad and whatever. And then they went on a run. It's, the carousel of football games now and then must be so, so difficult to deal with, where you play in the Premier League, then you go to Seville in a massive pressure game, and then as you say, two days from now, they're in, it's just never, never ending. So you, you, it's statistically almost impossible not to have off days like they're having now with what isn't a massive squad.
0: Yeah, that that is that is true, and the squad isn't massive, but you still would have expected a slightly better performance yesterday. But I think what's key, I think at this time of the year, because they're looking at Man City and other sides who play play every three days, I think when you have a bad day, you can really focus quickly. If this was a Saturday to Saturday, there's a lot of time to stew on stew about it, time for the media to continually ask about it. But when he does his next press next press conference, they might talk about Seville, but the bigger topic is still the next game. And I think he's very good at sort of instilling that in his players and giving them a chance to go and redeem themselves and understand that the next task is going to be different. I think you could hear that basically from the interviews with Ericsson and the like after the game. You know, they acknowledge what came before, but it's about moving on, essentially. The bad games do happen. And I think for United and some of these other sides, I think what's key is that you look at the performances. Some of the results might be partic- might be bad, good, or whatever, but you can see which way they're trending. And I think to a certain extent, yesterday, they seemed to be trending in the wrong direction. But... You now see the importance of someone like Bruno Fernandes, who's a very divisive player. Because <clears throat> I think if he plays yesterday, the game probably goes a different way. So it's great to have him back, I imagine, going into the game against Brighton, where they'll need that little bit of extra quality and leadership and sort of just to manage those bigger moments. So I think I generally think United will be fine. I don't think that game yesterday is indicative of how they're going to be between now and the end of the season. But well, again, we'll have to see, won't we?
1: Your um, former teammate was on Irish TV last night in Virgin Media, Richard Dunn, and he was talking about. Uh, the, he was very critical of um, the performance and of the team and of the direction they're going. He spoke. The thing that jumped out for me specifically about the attitude of players, and he name-checked in that regard De Gea, Shaw, Martial, Sancho, and he said they more. They have more players at the minute Manchester United who look in- uninterested uh, than those who do, which feels to be a step above almost what you're saying in terms of how deep yeah. the issues are.
0: Yeah, do you know what? You could say that, but then with some of those players, they've done really well for them so far to this point. I think there was a point when United were nowhere near anything in particular. Then they went on the run that they went on. Obviously, it was on the back of Rashford scoring as many goals as he did. But Luke Shaw, again, was having a fantastic time in terms of how he was playing. And I don't know, maybe to a certain extent, some of them are tired. Maybe they just couldn't handle that moment because I, I, I from what I gather, going to play in Seville in a knockout competition, especially the Europa League, is a tough place to be. But I think Donny, you know, he's perfectly entitled to his opinion. and He can go very strong because I'm sure he's picturing what it'd be like to be playing with those people in that hostile environment. But I think Ten Hag knows those players. And if he continues to pick them, then he must have some level of trust in them because, as we saw with somebody who was there at the start of the season, if he doesn't think you're doing the right job, and that is Cristiano Ronaldo, before you know it, you will sit on the bench and after that, you leave the football club. So I think he does trust those guys. He trusts those leaders and knows that moments like yesterday... They're an exception as opposed to something which he believes is will happen on a week-to-week basis. That that piece that we're sort of talking about in terms of
1: the players who are like invested in the outcome, or are interested, or trying, I suppose. You definitely couldn't label that one, Harry Maguire. I don't think anybody, the most um, critical uh, people of Harry Maguire, would never say that he's not uh, he's not interested or he's not trying. But equally, what's your, how does this play out for him now over the next couple of months and beyond?
0: I think it's tough because it feels like a lot of people hate him. And it's not just one or two, probably more so than, say, a United player that I can picture in my in my lifetime. And maybe that's just recency bias. So as a consequence, when they see his name on a team sheet, they're not comfortable. If he does something good, they say nothing. But the moment he does something bad, they speak very loudly. So as a consequence, it feels like he's making a lot of mistakes within the game. And that one yesterday, obviously, he's he's involved in that first goal. But... It's not as if he had a terrible game throughout the rest of it, but still he's the face that will be on the back pages, as you've mentioned. So I think it's a tough spot for him to be in where he knows everybody's going to be looking at him and expecting him to do do bad. And if he does nothing, then nothing gets said. But the fact is, I believe they probably want him out, as in United fans and other people looking at Man United. And they know that, like, even though he's the captain... He doesn't feel like the captain. It feels like the type of person which people expect Ten Hag to get rid of. They want to see a Varane and a Martinez playing in there. Maybe they want to bring in someone else's backup to that. And it feels like his time's coming to an end and it's a shame the way that it is doing because overall, you know, he has done well for them. But I think when people don't like you, all of a sudden, there's a real sort of sense of focus on any mistakes that he makes. And when they lead to goals, which is the nature of defending and goalkeeping, you know, people can be extra critical. And it's a shame because I, I don't think He's going to help him get better, but then in the same breath, right now they definitely need him.
1: He's like still probably got another four or five years potentially at the top level if he wants it. Like he's still a relatively young player. People often talking at him about that, his capacity to up his game from an, an England perspective. What in terms of the future for him now? Like you'd have to assume that he's probably going to leave Manchester United. That would look like um, the best thing for everybody at this stage. What do you? Th- What's your view on the final chapter, albeit sort of four or five, maybe in six years at that level uh, for Harry Maguire? What can he do? What can he achieve?
0: Do you know, I think that's a good question because we don't know. Say if he was to leave this summer, he doesn't just leave and go wherever he wants. He goes where he's wanted. And you don't necessarily know the needs of some of those teams. Like he will probably believe he can still be in the top four, top six and so on, but there's a big focus amongst that group of getting younger players in as well so i don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case but i think he's wherever he goes he's going to be someone who's going to be seen as one of the leaders uh you know really solid premier league center back and it's almost the rebuilding process but the shame for him is that if he does get better over the next couple of years he's very unlikely to get moved back to a team that's sort of trying to be as progressive as man united are so I think he just needs to go and find somewhere where he can feel comfortable, be supported, um, you know, by the team, by the club, by the fans and so on. But unfortunately, I think he's got such a stain on his name that wherever he's going to be linked, there'll be a group of fans from that team who probably won't be as excited to say maybe they could be by bringing in a full England international. And it's a shame, but this is the way football goes. So I think he's got to find the right environment, as I say, with the people around him who really trust him. And, they, you know, they defend him as well. Because when it comes down to this situation United, because some of the mistakes are so clear no one can really defend him mm-hmm. so it means that other people just attack and pile on and, and he's just got to sit there and i've heard you know maybe you read some of the tweets and stuff that gets put out towards him and i bet you know playing for a club like man united that's not just one or two people tweeting you that goes by the thousand so um yeah i hope he gets a chance to go and play somewhere to settle down to not overthink things and just get back to being the player that he was which made man united want to buy him for all that money all those, all those years ago it's hard to
1: imagine the impact that it must be having on him and his family. Have, did you ever go through a period like that, him of like that lack of confidence where you're just, no matter what you're doing week in, week out, you're just feeling as if you're in that bit of a rut?
0: Yeah, you, I think everyone goes through it. And it ultimately, I think it's different, though, because the clubs that I was playing for, not Man City as such, because this was before the takeover happened, but say when I was at QPR, you don't have as many eyes on you. Whereas I think for Harry, wherever he goes, he knows that the eyes will be upon him, whether he's playing for England or playing a game for United, whether it's playing away at Seville or, you know, playing in a training ground match, everyone will be talking about everything that he's doing. And that level of scrutiny is something that sort of makes it worse for some people who are at the very, very top. So, you know, you do feel for that and you try and play your way through it. But the downside, I think, for Harry, which I think he potentially gets wrong from my opinion, is that he still wants to try and commit to do the same things, which showed how good a player he is. And there was a spell where he would get on the ball and he would drive forward and he would make the right passes. But... Because people read those movements a bit more now when you do them before. You know it, you're being punished because people almost expect it. Like as was the case yesterday with the three-man press that led to that first goal. Because he wants to show character and courage to get on the ball and play it and be the leader for the team instead of just booming it long, you know, in a more sort of like conservative manner. But when things are going well for you, all of a sudden that can cost the side, and then you're left as you see with his face after the goal went in, thinking, "Well, flipping hair, what? Well, what now? Yeah. We're going over We're
2: going overall well, ground here. But what did you make of the goal, actually?
0: Yeah, <clears throat> so the, it's always dealer's choice, yeah? So De Gea has the ball at his feet. He's got the best view of the whole field. You can see Harry Maguire's there, and Harry's asking for the ball, but De Gea can also see that the three players who are around him. And I think if De Gea's going to give him the ball, I think he probably needs to ask for it back in that moment because he can see how he's being pressed. And as a defender, you're very good at receiving the ball, but not very good at receiving the ball with people behind you because ultimately, you know, you're usually the first line in terms of how an attack starts. So most defenders will be uncomfortable in that spot. And it's fair enough that he's asked to try and receive it, show that personality. I'm sure he's done that a thousand times over in training, but you're playing away from home. And I'd say it wasn't just one person pressing, it was like two or three Seville players that were right there. So I think De Gea has to manage that moment better. He has to pick the right pass. And the right pass might not necessarily have been to, you know, go long, but ask for it back from Maguire. But then instead, you know, he plays it to him. And then that happens, and before you know it, the game's in a place where that's the, the uphill nature of that task just becomes that little bit steeper because they got forty, 000, fifty thousand 50,000 fans screaming and they energising that Seville side. So I would like to have seen the Gea manage that situation better. Not to say Harry Maguire can't take it there, but I think the two of them could have combined better to sort of put the ball at less of a risk. That's the um, best explanation I, so far, I think, and I haven't even seen the answer.
1: I'm going to ask you this because we've had a long debate at the start of the show with our producer about whether the pass back. To the goalkeeper was on or not?
0: I think it would have been on if De Gea did a play and move. That's the thing. At the end of the day, if you're going to give someone the ball, you have to give them the option afterwards. It's yeah. the same reason why when a centre-back gets the ball and plays it to the goalie, they don't just run straight back to them. They tend to sprint to the sideline to give another angle so you can break the press as such. So without having a chance to look back at it again, I think if you're going to give somebody the ball on the edge of your box as the goalkeeper, you have to give them an option. Otherwise, it's not the right pass to make. And you could say it was blocked off, but it doesn't need if it's if it's blocked off after you played it to him. Then how did you get it to him in the first place? So the, I'm the, a bit cynical the, from that I, standpoint. I,
1: I, I'm like a dog with a bone with this one, right? But he so he passed him the ball, and then the the severe so the three that came to close them off in that press, one of them had gone between De Gea and uh, Maguire. So the pass back had uh, essentially the only route out was to do an about turn and point back up the pitch.
0: So which one? So let's think of the three then. So there was the one who intercepted it on his left. Yeah. There was the guy who scored on the right, and there was somebody in front of that as well. Correct. You yeah. Okay. So, so after De Gea plays it to him, De Gea, do you not think he could have made, moved maybe five yards to the right hand exactly. side? Exactly. That's
1: that. As Johnny yeah. said, that was the best explanation I heard of it. The 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 pass and then make a move, which he didn't do.
0: Has to, yeah, that's yeah. the thing you have to do. But then, even like just to be re- just to really nitpick, and it's obviously easy to do when I'm sitting in my house eating a takeaway, you know, watching <laughs> European football. But even the ball from De Gea to him, it could have been a cleaner ball. It could have been like, because it bobbled into him a couple of times. That like, this, It's little details. Yeah. And they, the frustrating thing for me is that both players are very capable of dealing with that situation in a better way and probably have done a thousand times over. So to do it in this moment, like they weren't let down essentially by the younger players. They were let down by some of the most experienced players in a moment, which you'd expect them to be able to manage, given the fact that it was only two years ago they were in the final as well. So they know how to do it away from home there, but still, game was short this time.
1: I'm sure this is all grist in the mill for uh, Manchester City fans as well, of course. I wonder um, what
0: the takeaway was, <laughs> what, what was the takeaway? The takeaway That's a good question. Mm, uh, the takeaway, it was actually something simple yesterday, just the Nandos, just the Nandos. Nice. Keep it, keep <sighs> Cheeky calm, Nandos. You know, oh. Cheeky Nandos on a Thursday <laughs> night watching United. Happy days. Hard to think. <laughs>
1: um, the, the City run of games is amazing now, and I'm sure that every game that uh, comes up at the minute, the way they're playing, the amount of goals they're scoring is a uh, mouth-watering prospect. But the prospect of this Madrid doubleheader Next month, uh, next uh, next month is um, is one for everybody to uh, be excited about. I think.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. And don't get me wrong; you know, there will be a lot of people who will be heavily rooting for Real Madrid because they're anti City. But then, lots of people who root for Real Madrid because they are the kings of European football, and it's the one team who you don't really want to have to come across, whether it's in the group stages, knockouts, or the final. Yet still City have drawn them again, you know, only 12 months on from the last time they had it. And there's a level of heartbreak among City fans because, you know, for a whole game at home and everything was 88, 89 minutes in the Bernabeu, they were going through, they were in the best position. But then the Kings of Europe did exactly what they do. You know, I remember in that game at the Bernabeu last year in the second leg, there was a banner that was up before the game, which literally said another magical night for the Kings of Europe. Imagine how much confidence you need to have in your team to put that up before a game. But that, they do it because it's like 13 times they've won it at that point. I think it's 14 now. But I think what's different this year is the sort of added nuance of Man City being at home in the second leg. I think we've seen over the last couple of days that, you know, barring, um, say, Chelsea, I think it was, a lot of the teams, oh, not to be fair, Napoli as well, but the teams that have that second leg at home have a really good chance. if, As long as they don't blow that first leg, they've got a good chance. And given the way that Real Madrid, obviously, are very, very good in Europe, they do have their flaws. City obviously have flaws as well. And if it comes down to something which is essentially going to be like a shootout, a high-scoring game, you know, Man City are capable of that. You know, yeah. gone are the days where you're worried if they're going to score a goal in a game. And it's not to say it's a, it's like the most obvious thing and a guarantee ever, but they create so many chances. And with someone who scored 48 goals so far this season, if as long as he stays fit, you get the feeling he's going to have an opportunity, and he tends to take quite a few of them. So. I like it. I think it's a great Champions League tie. I think the same on the other side with the sort of Milan derby as well. And it's 62 exciting semi-finals. And I would argue the second leg, City versus Real Madrid is the biggest game that's ever been played at that stadium. And I think a lot of people are going to be desperate to be there to see it because it could be such a huge moment. Because how much confidence do you gain when you beat Real Madrid, the kings of Europe? If you can do that, then you can arrive in a final. And believe that you can go all the way, you know, the same way some people like to play the best all the way through. Listen, I prefer not to. Mm. But if you can be the team that knocks out the people that expect to win it in front of your home fans to the feeling around that sort of a re- that stadium and that football club. It'll be massive, and I think that'll help them see that'll help see them through to the end of the season, which whichever objectives they have before it's all done. They
2: they need to do it as well, don't they? Because as you mentioned, like the the the, the Real team, it's it's not a vintage Real team. Like they're reliant on a set of very good but aging attacking players, and in some instances you can get at them defensively. And as you say saying, and um, the fact that the like City are probably a little bit, probably quite a bit better at home for some reason, um, and with that crowd as you mentioned, they just they, they really should just get the job done here. There are no excuses in my view.
0: Yeah, that's a it's a strong way to say it. Yeah, but and the thing is, I'd buy into it except it's Real Madrid, and that's the annoying <laughs> thing because as, as we look back at last year, and Ancelotti's, yeah, Real Madrid scraped through against uh, Paris Saint Germain. They scraped through against Chelsea. They kind of scraped through against City, and then in the final, their goalkeeper was the man of the match. Mm. Like we could have written them off at every one of those points because you watch the games and you know that in the flow of it, they were struggling. Yet still, they found a way to win it, and that's sort of part of their DNA as such. Even like when they played Liverpool at Hanfield, they were 2-0 down. And I thought, I got sucked in. I was at the stadium. I thought, oh, it's going to be a massacre to Liverpool. And then somehow it's like 5-2 without them really having to really overexert themselves to a certain extent. 2-0 down, 2-0 1-5-2. Where have we heard that before? There we go. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But within that, there's just something about them. And it's not to make excuses for City because this is me making excuses for everyone when they play against them. They have this sort of allure about them in this competition. And I think for, within their club, the Champions League is more important than the domestic league. That's how they measure themselves, which shows how they are the kings of it all. So I think City will get it done, but it's going to be tough when you're playing against someone who's currently the Ballon d'Or and two wingers in, say, Rodrigo and Vinicius Jr., who are set up to hit you on the break. And when the quality is coming from the likes of Valverde, Modric and so on, they might give up some level of control within the game, but they know they've always got threat. But the good thing is it works both ways, as was the case when Bayern played City in a couple of days ago. Bayern if they ever overcommitted, before you know it, there's a long ball to Haaland a head down. De Bruyne plays someone in, bang, there's a goal being scored. I think this tie has so many goals in it, and that's why I'm really Bernabeu excited Bernabeu to watch it. This thing with the Bernburg yeah. game,
2: like Real can't overcommit here because like they're just not good enough to deal with Haaland if they if they leave space, in my view. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be yeah. I, I wanna be- ask
1: you one I want to ask you one about Arsenal and we're running out of time now. And I want to ask you one about Arsenal Wednesday night and um your view of how all well that will play out. Um like, they, there's a lot of focus, obviously, on that game and potentially a title decider. Equally, when you see some of the um, results that have, uh, Arsenal have had recently, they could end up winning that game and still lose the title.
0: Yeah, it, things have, things certainly have changed. And this game, it has so much gravity to it, but more so in terms of seeing who's going to be at the top versus who's going to be chasing. But the fact is, the race is still on. I think it was getting to a point when the gap was five, the gap was eight, that you know that could be the final nail in the coffin for the title race, as such. But instead, it's added that level of nuance because Arsenal have ended up dropping those points, and it's and you know and they're dropping points at Anfield. You can kind of accept that, but it's the ones away at West Ham, given how much in control of the game they were. But I think again, it's a fantastic game of football. I think they'll probably Arsenal will probably smash Southampton today. I think it is. And then heading into that game, who who knows, I think it's going to be a fantastic tie. And, you know, unfortunately for them, they're going to one of the toughest grounds to get points at this whole season. So, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be very exciting. Yeah,
1: so much to be excited about. Dennis Ryan uh, says, Nedum's a top-class contributor. OTB, some outfit for sourcing. Great guests. Well done and keep the comments. So, a good note to leave it on like there. Thanks it's a might be a Nando's fan, yeah. Pretty interesting stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, um... I mean, I, this is ridiculous. I actually i haven't i haven't seen the goal, but I think that's a brilliant footballer's appraisal of it's a lot more than Maguire receiving the ball. It's like the body language of the goalkeeper to hey. And, and if, if there's a trap, you need to offer him an out straight away. Um, Colin was kind of, I don't know, you obviously gesticulating can't... Gesticulating that, he was, that, that he, was right. he was proving
1: his point. Yeah, but I was like, Colum, nonsense. Not
2: absolutely not. I no. mean, I mean Colin he's, he's probably a minute away from walking back in to just get I, I would love the him again. to come back in to uh, That's dissect, happen. dissect. But
1: the point that I hadn't considered before, give the pass crisp pass, which he was saying it wasn't, and then make a movement, which is absolutely right. Gave the pass and he stood still, at which point the Seville the player had come in between him and, and Maguire and there was no pass back.
2: So the pass itself wasn't played at the right pace, like essentially. Okay. Yeah. That Then you're creating, uh, when you have a high press, that's a massive problem because that, that draws you back and you all of a sudden, you've lost an option straight away because you're committing to the ball. Again, I haven't seen the goal. But um, yeah, I, I think Colin was wrong, whatever he said. <laughs>
1: You might say that, Johnny. You might say that.
2: OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.